Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game of me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? I know I know you're on your own for a couple of days in true Home Alone style, so I'm, 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 I'm worried that you might be only hours away from wearing Gail's wedding dress to work. <laughs> well, that's normally for a Thursday night experience rather than during the daylight hours, but, uh, but I'd rather keep that private. Indeed. Um, are you, are you, all is good. All is good. And our bees have gone. Your bees have gone? Oh, wow, okay. What, they just uh, strolled off, got bored? What was it? Well, we, we, we originally had 2,000 um, on our front wall, and then Mr. Beekeeper, Kirk, well, Kirk the beekeeper took the queen, and most of them followed, but a, a few of them didn't. So we've had 200 bees sort of sitting out. They've been absolutely great company, no trouble at all. Um, and then overnight, they, they went. So not only has my wife left me, but my bees have gone as well. Yeah, your wife hasn't left you, Kieran. She's gone away for a couple of days. It's, 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 let's not be overdramatic. Um, yeah, bees are great. Bees are bees are fine. Bees just sit there minding their own business. They don't want any trouble. It's wasps. They're, they're little, oh, yeah. Never did quite understand what wasps' place in nature is, but I'm sure somebody will tell us. And also, with, with anybody else, I, I would say, how do you know it's 2,000 bees? Because it's you, Kieran. I imagine <laughs> you have a bee spreadsheet. I imagine you've... you've You've probably given them all individual names as well, knowing you. It's Newsday, Kieran. Um, <laughs> there's no football happening, Kieran, but bugger me, there's a lot of football news going on. Yes. Um, the first one is something we've been discussing on a European level, Kieran, a wage cap, but now it's coming closer to home by the look of things. Yes, this is a story uh, broken by Martin Ziegler of The Times. And there's going to be a meeting of Premier League chief executives uh, this week, I believe. And one of the topics for conversation is competitive balance. It's a good Premier League, as always. And and it's certainly competitive at the bottom. Uh, The fact that the three clubs who were promoted avoided relegation um you know is is good uh, i think for the competitiveness of clubs coming up from from the championship but uh there is a concern that especially with the increase in money coming into european football from 24 25 with the introduction of the swiss model system that more and more money is going to be concentrated at the top and what we don't want is is walkovers. Um, you know, we know that Manchester City and Liverpool and Manchester United and Chelsea, or Chelsea under normal circumstances, are uh, are going to be fairly dominant. But th- there's still that belief. Yeah, the fact that Brentford managed to do the double over Manchester City last season is actually really good for wanting to turn on the telly as much as anything else. Because mm. if, if matches are going to be walkovers, then there's there's no point in watching it. Um, so the proposal is that the side finishing bottom of the Premier League, we take their TV money. So in the case of last season, that would have been Norwich. Norwich earned just over £100 million in TV money. And you have a wage cap, which is four times that figure. So that would give us a, I think it works out, it was a £402 million wage cap. 
And th- that hmm. that looks like a good soundbite in theory. Um, but you then take a look at the actual numbers and the club with the highest wages last season was Manchester United with 384 million. So under the present rules, all clubs would be able to pay the same level of wages and, and the cap would have make absolutely no difference towards A, what they can spend and B, competitive balance. I think... The proposals are there because potentially we are will see clubs going well through the four hundred million pound bracket as the new contracts come in with the expanded European competition. So wait and see, and then you say, well, okay, if there is a wage cap, who's going to be the beneficiaries of this? And uh, the beneficiaries will be the club owners of the elite clubs because. If there's, uh, if there's a cap on what they have to pay out in wages and clubs are generating a lot more money from European football as opposed to domestic football, then that can only benefit the, the shareholders and the owners. By way of a plug, Kieran, you and I have just done a very interesting and enthusiastic interview with Maxim Krivunex, who's the head of the Viersliga, the Latvian Premier League. Uh, who had a lot to say about the notion of competitive balance, but he's also a, a big fan of both financial fair play and the salary cap. He said it's gone at least some way to reducing the huge gulf. Not a lot, but, but it, certainly some way. So that's an interview that our listeners can hear on Friday, which is tomorrow in your language, which is two days. I'm getting confused now, Kieran. I've got a hangover. So it's, it's, it's Wednesday, but it's, so the interview's out Friday. But I, I thought that was interesting. We'll talk more about that when we do hear that interview. In in the meantime, Kieran, just when you thought things couldn't get worse for Wigan fans, things have got worse for Wigan fans. Yes, this is unsurprising, but still disappointing news. HMRC have issued a winding up order in court, um, and that's going to be held uh, in the next few weeks. With regards to unpaid tax, uh, I've heard Around about two and a half million pounds is the sum involved. Right. HMRC have to do this. They, they yeah, as, yeah. as 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 yeah, they are the guardians effectively of the exchequer. It's their responsibility to ensure that. Remember, this money has been uh, deducted from employees' pay. This money has been collected from season ticket sales, which are VATable and uh, merchandise sales in the past few months. But it's been kept by the owners and has not been handed across to HMRC. Um, and you wonder why we've got into this situation so quickly because we remember, uh, you know, having people from Wigan, and we had Andy Burnham and yeah. uh, you know, the, the mayor of Manchester on the show a couple of years ago when Wigan were in administration. We were somewhat mocking about the administrators who said that there should be a statue built yeah. of themselves for the fantastic work that they've done and the two million pounds they paid themselves, um, but. At least we thought, well, the club's been sold. The new owners are saying all of the right things. But wages last season, when they were promoted, last season, I say 21-22, first competitive season, they were paying wages of £157 for every £100 that comes through the door. Mm. So that's not a great way to run a business unless you have owners who are prepared to subsidise the club. And it looks as if, for whatever reason, the owners are no longer putting in the money. So um, there's been too many broken promises. And, and the, the owner who, again, you know, has had meetings with various people, but uh, Abdul Rahman Al-Jazmi, I think that's his correct name. Apologies for pronunciation. We got that wrong. Um, seems to have, have a, a have an issue when it comes to generating cash. And often we say in business, you can be asset rich and cash poor, but uh, he's he's not handed across the cash. Um, the club lost £150,000 a week uh, in League One the last time it was there. So I think they are in a very challenging position. I know people have been concerned about, you know, does this mean the club's going to go out of existence? Well, we have seen South End United um, yeah. have a series of winding up orders from HMRC, and other clubs have happened. Uh, yeah, have had this happen to them as well. But those clubs all still exist. My, my concern for Wigan is that the people that have been connected with acquiring the club, um, Sabjet uh, Capital, I'm 
not convinced about the, the there's there's a good reason why the EFL have uh, not uh, approved the acquisition of Morecambe over a six month period, and and you know the EFL have to keep these things tight lipped. But you can read between the lines. If nothing's happened, it's because insufficient evidence has been provided to them. Um, there is also talk about um, one of the owners of the the rugby club uh, acquiring a stake, um, and if so, you know that could be. Uh, good for continuity. I think I think it's uh, the editor of the or the owner of the New Statesman as well. Um, so we, we'll have to wait and see. But my concern is is that if the club goes into administration again, or mm. if there is a winding up order, uh, the first thing the administrators say is, do we have enough cash to to pay the bills that arise during our period of ownership? And with with this owner, that, that's something I'm I'm not convinced about. I mean, for all of the the terrible faults of the previous owner who put the club into administration, they, they did effectively provide some funding um, to allow the club to to, to operate on a day to day basis. Although things were very precarious at times. And I presume, Kieran, if they do go into administration again, that's another automatic points deduction, is it? That's correct. Um, yeah, we, we're not there yet, and, and I'm hoping we don't go that far. Um, but it would mean that Wigan would start next season on minus 23 points. Jesus. Um, exactly. And you've got, uh, you, you've got a coach who can't recruit players or you know, no, no, no player uh, who, who has any sense is going to, to sign for Wigan if you know that it's failed to pay the wages on, on six occasions in the last 12, 12 months. I've also been in contact with um, one of our sports lawyer friends with regards to where does this leave the players themselves? Yeah, And potentially, you know, players could be walking away from the club because the club is in breach of contract. And, and as a consequence of that, um, you're looking at the, the statute um, it, as far as the the Premier League rules and the EFL rules and the general football rules appear to be the case, I think if if you are more than fourteen days late, and I think it have to it has to be twice, um, effectively the player can can rip up the contract. But you know the player will be talking to their representatives and uh, and so on. We, and we did see this uh, in respect of Southend United, where where a player decided that for the sake of you know, their their career, um, their family, their obligation to you know, the direct debits and standing orders that we all have, that that they were going to uh, uh, you know, move on to move on to another club, and this this could this could make things even worse. This is a club, Kieran, that won the FA Cup not many years ago. It's it it takes a certain talent to run a club of that status into the ground. The way they're doing it, it's it's very hard to see how they won't be playing League Two football the season after next, which will make it even more difficult to sell to a, a going concern, won't it? Um, it it will certainly have an impact upon price. Uh, I think that the administrators did get a, a reasonable price for the club when they sold it, but it it certainly you know, it had some property assets. Um, it did have a, a decent squad and so on uh, that, that was that was left. Admittedly, you know, all, all the best assets are gone, but they still had some some uh, good good talent there. So it's it, it's it's going to be messy, whatever happens, and uh, you you do worry because you know you and I are old enough to remember when Wigan came from non-league yeah. into the EFL. And they, they were one of the clubs that did manage to break through when it used to be very much a closed shop as to who was allowed to come up. Um, and they've done spectacularly well. Um, Dave Whelan was a superb owner in terms of uh, the way that he ran the club. One of my, one, one of my friends um, used to be a quite senior banker and looked after quite a few of the football clubs in the country. And he said by far his best customer was Dave Whelan because oh, wow. he'd go in and Dave Whelan would know to the penny, A, how much money was in the bank account, B, how much has been spent in the last month and who it's been spent to. And effectively was sort of you know, an old school owner in the sense that he signed every check and he double checked who it was being paid to and he made sure that the club didn't live beyond its means. And since uh, since Dave having you know, uh, you know moving away from the club, uh, we've we've had a succession of disastrous owners. Yeah, 
I always remember the first time I went up there to interview Dave Whelan, which was great. It's a really interesting interview, and he's a very nice chap. I'm very proud of his his club and his his town. But the press officer said to me afterwards, "How long did it take him to mention that he broke his leg in the FA Cup final?" <laughs> so I went. I said it's about seven minutes. He went great. I won a fiver because he said they all. all, all, all the, <laughs> He said all the press people have a little bet with themselves <laughs> each interview, and he, he went for under 10 minutes, so he won. Um, that's one of the reasons why it, it breaks my heart to see any club in trouble. But mm. I, I had three delightful trips to Wigan, and I couldn't have been treated more kindly. And that clearly came from the top down, so it, it really does upset me to see what's happening to, to Wigan. The next four stories, Kieran, um, are all in and about the EFL, essentially. Um, the first one is the EFL bigging themselves up numbers-wise. Yes, uh, and and rightly so. Yeah. Um, 22 million uh, people watched EFL competition matches, so that's uh, uh, the, the championship. The championship, the fifth uh, most watched competition in Europe. So bigger than French football, the championship. Um and, and it's yeah, you and I we have we've we've had clubs that have spent a fair number of years in that division, and it was always great because it was that Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. So even if you'd lost a match at the weekend, you knew there there was an away trip to Rotherham to look forward to three days later to to perk you up. Um, <laughs> and even League One is in the top ten most watched. Yeah. divisions in in European football which is a hell of an achievement I think it's sort of testament to the the quasi religion that football has become in this country and, and it is sort of one of the, the few things which unites a, a secular society um, season ticket sales are up by around about 15% and, and given the economic hardship that so many people face I think it is indicative that people are having to make cutbacks and people are having to make sacrifices but we, we've said on, on many occasions, football does have this unique place in people's lives. And because of those shared memories, because of those new friendships and old friendships, which have been forged purely through football, it is something that people will make a huge effort uh, to, to attend as much as they can. Um, that doesn't mean that season ticket prices increasing in, in at some clubs is is particularly defensible but uh, that tends to be I think we've seen the biggest rises in the Premier League rather than the EFL and it's also good to see that there's been a significant increase in the number of uh, junior people uh, attending matches because mm. we've had all of these uh, accusations from the likes of Florentino Perez that young people aren't interested in football anymore because we're competing against TikTok. So therefore, that's why he wanted the Super League and that's why he wanted uh, matches split into four quarters instead of two halves um, and, and so on. But um, yeah, as somebody that, that teaches, yeah, admittedly, I teach football finance to young people. The level of enthusiasm that I see is is just as much as it is before. And when I talk to my mates, yeah, their kids are just as enthusiastic as as we were. But it, it's great to see that's that's uh, manifesting itself in in high levels of of junior season tickets and, and match attendances as well. You're, you're never more obsessed with football than you are between the age of seven and eleven, really, Kieran. I mean, they're they're the golden days. Being a football fan, you you can't tell a seven year old that you're going to change the game that he's just fallen in love with. They 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 know they understand it more than we do sometimes. So he's, Perez is an idiot. I'm going to stop. Um, actually, I shouldn't say things like that. Um, I'm not going to try and stop saying things like bigging themselves up, Kieran, because our <laughs> uh, our Latvian friend Maxim told us that he he makes his staff and students listen to it, listen to the pod to learn about football finance but also to learn colloquial English <laughs> I, 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 I'm, really, I'm really worried that some little Latvian teenagers are going to go home and get in trouble for calling his dad Charlie Big Bollocks <laughs> uh, so we, we, we shall speak proper English from now on um, the EFL Kieran the second story with the EFL in have approved the acquisition of Birmingham City by Shelby Companies um, Ed happened to overhear me mentioning this to somebody and he went, that better not be named after Tommy Shelby. And I said, I've, 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 I'm afraid it is. Uh, <laughs> Peaky, it is named after Peaky Blinders' violent 
charismatic leader. <laughs> it said that's pathetic. <laughs> it was actually angered by that. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it yeah. showed a sign of humor, you know, a sign, sign of humor yeah. by the by the people setting it up, um, because the the real story is 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 far, uh, yeah, is far more corporate. Um, what's happened here is that um, a hedge fund owner called Tom Wagner from the United States, he has now had EFL approval to acquire forty six percent of. Birmingham City. Now, it also has to be approved by the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, but I think that's likely to go ahead. Uh, I, I don't, I don't foresee any uh, any issues there. Um, that's that's, with, be, that's because just to clarify, that's because the current owner is based in Hong Kong. That's right. Yeah. So the, yes. Yeah. Uh, so that the 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 company is listed on the Hong Kong Stock yeah. Exchange, and uh, the the actual ownership of significant numbers of shares. Uh, it's always been one of those uh, awkward trails of of data, um, and, and you've got to uh, you've got to give huge admiration. There are some dedicated people out there that do all of the donkey work. You know, there, there's a there's a kid called Daniel, who's who's a Birmingham City fan, who's just obsessive, you know, about about the Birmingham City ownership, and he puts out some amazing stuff. And I know uh, Alistair at, uh, at at West Bromwich Albion and, and some of the other people there, they've been digging into who owns West Bromwich Albion, and it's and it's not necessarily the person that says they own right. uh, West Bromwich Albion. There, there's lots of lots of trails and offshore uh, activities taking place, and uh, you know, fair play to these people for giving up their time and uh, and trying to get to the bottom of it, but. I, th- I think this is a positive for Birmingham. Yeah, you know, and we've we've said that Birmingham, to a certain extent, yeah, you know, we, we don't use the phrase "sleeping giant," but it, Birmingham is a is a club with a, a lot of potential. But they they need to invest in infrastructure and they need to invest um, uh, in terms of, of playing. But you know, for, for a big city, uh, it's it's unusual to have just sort of one senior team in the top division. So, um, you know. I, th- I think this is this is an interesting one. My, my one reservation is why do hedge fund owners want to buy football clubs? Um, mm. Because it's not uh, it, it's 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 not for keepy uppies. It's not for crossbar challenges. It's not for jumpers for goalposts, um, and all of the reasons why you know, we we as kids uh, fell in love with the game. Although perhaps you know, perhaps we are just legacy fans and, and we're out of touch with with the modern world. Could be, could be, Kieran. We are out of touch with some aspects of the modern world. There's no doubt, but that's another pod. Um, if the new owners of Birmingham City are listening to this, if they're not too distracted by watching Peaky Blinders in the box set, uh, please, please bring back one of the best away kits ever. I mean, like 1973-74, essentially they had the flag of Belgium as their away kit. It was fantastic. Mm. I would actually uh, break my own rules and buy another club's football shirt if that was the case. I know your rule, Kieran, is to buy all the club's football shirts. We have we have different <laughs> rules. That's why this works so well. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Manscaped. If you haven't heard already, it's smooth sack summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're scaped from pubes to bum. That's right, this is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. It's time to get ready for summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. Their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade. It's got a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, which can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when need for a more precise shave. You could also use Manscaped's liquid formulations to keep that freshness even at the hottest summer barbecues. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This next EFL story, Kieran, Wigan fans will no doubt say is a classic case of bolting the stable door several years after the horse has disappeared. But um, the owners and directors test is getting beefed up by the look of it. Yes, so this is a change of rules by the EFL. Uh, They're bringing themselves more into line with the Premier League, although uh, the Premier League has the advantage of pretty much uh, unlimited resources and the EFL has to work to a much tighter budget. But um, they've increased sort of the tariff of disqualifying conditions. So... If you're guilty of violent offences, um, then you would not be allowed to acquire a football club. That that seems fair and right. Although, um, yeah, I will say that some people at the top of some clubs mm-hmm. don't themselves get involved in the violent offences. They just set the orders for others to do it. But that that's for another podcast, the one which can never be broadcast. <laughs> um, We'll do it for if pa- you are we'll, a- do it. we'll do it for Patreons, Kieran. We'll do the- <laughs> we'll do one last pod, the one that brings us down completely. That's but right. but only page- <laughs> but we'll have the the securing the knowledge that Patreons have paid three quid to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're a sanctioned individual, uh, so so you know the likes of Alicia Usmanov, Roman Abramovich, um, they would not be able to buy a club if if a uh, if a sovereign wealth fund from a sa- sanctioned country tried to buy a football club they wouldn't be allowed to do it so so those those fans hoping that uh, they could be uh, owned by the Taliban or North Korea um, <laughs> are going to be disappointed um, what what is interesting is that if you are found guilty of being bankrupt twice you yeah. won't be able to, to buy a football club which does mean that uh, Donald Trump um, who has been bankrupt uh, at least four occasions probably six, um, or certainly at a corporate level, uh, he he won't be able to to rock up to uh, to Morecambe um, and, and offer to buy the club. Um, not that I think they'd be that keen on it if you're guilty of fraud. But also the, the definition of control uh, of a club has dropped from thirty percent to twenty five percent. So this is to to stop people uh, buying twenty nine point nine and not having to submit to the rules. Um, so so it's it's. Yeah, it, it's tedious stuff. It's dull stuff. It's it, you know, it's governance related, but it's a step forwards, and uh, it's good to see that the premier, so the EFL club owners, ultimately who who make this decision, have realised that governance is an important issue in the game, and, and are trying to to progress the the situation. Well, it, it's interesting this one, Kieran. I was researching another project, and the the Premier League. Uh, Owners and directors test rules are rather vague. It's just sort of it's like a David Gower off drive, essentially, it just waves the bat in the general direction, and sometimes it hits the ball, hits it, and sometimes it doesn't. So basically, the Premier League just says you can't be a criminal, whereas the EFL rules are much more specific, and they're even more specific now. But the one thing the EFL rules, like the very first thing, it says. If you've ever illegally downloaded a football match or watched a game on an illegal stream, 
you can't technically be an, an owner or director. And I, I just think they can't be enforcing that, Kieran, because there won't be many owners and directors that haven't done that, I'm guessing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Ivan Tony was quite vocal this week, Kieran, about the timing um, and the length of his, his ban. Um, mm. uh, so I'm sure he'll be very interested in the last of our EFL stories. Yes, uh, the EFL have signed a uh, commercial arrangement with Skybet, which is going to go through to the 2028-2029 season. This involves a 50% increase in the amount of sponsorship um, and a memorandum of understanding uh, with regards to, and this is the irony here, uh, with regards to player education uh, in, in respect of gambling. Um, and and to introduce the concept of safer gambling, and this is you know people accuse me of getting on soapboxes at times. Well, consider soapbox about to be jumped upon. Um, <laughs> there's 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 talk about safer gambling. Well, the the trouble is, um, you, you and I both know people with addiction issues. There isn't a safer level of alcohol if you're an alcoholic. There isn't a safe level of uh, drug abuse if you're a heroin addict. So there isn't a safe level of gambling if you've got a gambling addiction. And the use of these words makes me feel uncomfortable because when we when we think about a problem gambler, we think about somebody who has a gambling addiction. Now, those people, according to the gambling industry – they must self exclude yeah, they must yeah. go they must go through all of these steps themselves the gambling industry however sees a problem gambler as somebody who wins mm. all the time or not win or, or wins the majority of the time and therefore it is making profits and what the gambling industry will do with their definition of a problem gambler is they'll They've got the algorithms. They will, A, close down your account or restrict you to you know, 50p bets or £1 bets. And, B, they'll tell all of the other gambling companies as well that, oh, by the way, you know, this person uh, you know, is a, effectively a professional gambler. Um, they're going to have an edge. We, we don't want to lose money. And, I, I, look, I understand why the gambling companies don't want to lose money, but I, I, I do feel uncomfortable with um, you know, their their. their insistence that if you've got a problem in terms of losing money if you're spending too much money ultimately it's your problem yes we'll give you the tools to help yourself but uh you know, you know it's it's a bit like a a publican uh, inviting somebody into a pub and said yeah, don't order too many you know but i'll, we'll, but I'll let you choose mm. um do, so as sorry Kim, do we know how much this uh has been paid by skybet for this no no the actual sum involved hasn't been uh, discussed um they are giving um, one million pounds to a community fund each year, right. um, but then I seem to recall Pablo Escobar building hospitals and schools um, mm. in a similar uh, similar attempt to, to promote uh, the, the good side of the nature. Um, as far as Skybet themselves are concerned, they are owned by Flutter Entertainment, who also own Paddy Power and Betfair. For people not familiar with those companies, um, in 2018, a 2.2 million fine. £2.2 million fine was given for failure to apply money laundering checks in 2022. A £1.9 million fine was given for promoting free spins mm. to people who had already self-excluded. And we've recently had a £490,000 fine, uh, again, for issues to do with self-excluded people. So this is just coming from this one company um, who have used to be known as Paddy Power Betfair, but have now changed their name to Flutter Entertainment to, to soften the uh, soften, soften the association with gambling. Indeed. Now, a couple of days ago, Kieran, I was toying with the idea of buying a million shares in Manchester United, um, and this next news story makes me regret that I didn't. Yes, um, Manchester United share price has has jumped around about thirty percent in in two or three days, um, and there has to be a reason for this. Now, sometimes that that reason is that there's something logical um, and business related and commercial, but what appears to be the case here is that a social media account with around about three hundred followers 
um, effectively put out something on the lines of Sheikh Jassim has acquired Manchester United, deal done. Oh. And and the markets jumped upon this. And if the Sheikh Jassim deal does go ahead, and, and this is where the issue is in terms of share price lie, um, it looks as if Sheikh Jassim would be acquiring 100% of the shares, in, in effect saying, well, we're going to pay, let's say, you know, a share, Uh, Manchester United's share price was 18. So you think, well, okay, if I buy at 18 and this deal is going to go ahead, I can buy at 18, I can sell at 30, I can make a load of money for myself. So on on the back of one uh, social media account, which appears to have zero credibility and the the, the Qatari authorities have effectively distanced themselves from it, um, the share price did did shoot up. Um, it's a sign of the jitteriness of markets that uh, people in in an information vacuum, and that's what we've had. had and, and I think a, a lot of the blame here has to go to the Glazer family because they're trying to nickel and dime um, the, the two bidders uh, keep going back. Oh, you know, such and such is offered just a little bit more. Can you erase your bid? And, and I know, you know, as far as they're concerned, you know, they, let's face it, they've got no love of Manchester United. They've got no love of of winning the trophies. They just see it as as a as a financial uh, investment. But because it has dragged on so long, we are now left in this rather uh, crazy situation in which any information will be seized upon, can potentially be used, and social media can act as a megaphone and expand that information around, and you will see significant jumps in share price. Now, for all I know, this could be a, a very cunning form. I wouldn't, it's not insider of information, but deliberately putting out disinformation, buying some shares in the knowledge you're going to put this out on social media, hoping that somebody's going to jump on it and make money on the back of it. So it's it, it's it's very messy, it's very undignified. And you know, for a club with the history and the heritage of Manchester United to uh, be on the the receiving end of you know, pretty tawdry activities is is such a shame. Kieran, you've got a hundred thousand followers, more or less. Why aren't you out there causing havoc on the markets? You could just one casual tweet from you, you could bring the whole thing crashing down. <laughs> well, I, I did actually put something out last year. Um, which I wouldn't necessarily say was a buy recommendation to Manchester United, but when the price dropped to ten, to ten, I think it was ten or eleven dollars sixty. It was it was ten percent below the the original listing price. Um, it did look a bit of a bargain. I'll say no more than that. And mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, if, if I if I put my money where the mouth was, um, yeah, I, I would be sitting very pretty. It's, it is one of the things that I monitor, and I and I do own shares in quite a few clubs. Yes, you see, this is this bothers me, Kieran. You, you not only do you buy the shirts of other clubs, not only do you bet against your own football team losing, you you buy shares in other football clubs, Kieran. This is it's kind of Machiavellian thing going on here. You'll be buying a club next. Imagine how difficult that pod the pod will be if you're one of the club owners. Who's a Roman? Yes. A, yeah. Imagine if you you and Lawrence Bassini together brought what that be. <laughs> I, I'm, putting, I'm putting that down. I'm just going to write this column on my piece of paper here. Most unlikely thing to happen. <laughs> Kieran Maguire, Lawrence Bassini, <laughs> by Watford, end up in a relationship. Um, <laughs> you said, you, you, you've been saying it quite a lot recently, but you said it earlier on in this pod, that you wonder why hedge funds would want to get involved in buying football clubs, but a new analysis shows that there's a, a lot of them getting involved across Europe, Kieran, isn't there? Yes, this is a report, uh, I think this is in Bloomberg, which yeah. showed that one in six clubs in the the big five uh, countries in, in Europe, uh, as far as their, their senior divisions are concerned, are now owned by either private equity or hedge funds. And there are a variety of reasons to to buy a football club. I think we we both have uh, owners of the clubs that we support who do it because first and foremost, Steve Parrish and Tony Bloom are fans of Crystal Palace and Brighton Hove Albion, mm. and they they acquired the clubs at times when the, the future of the clubs was was called into question. Um, they've been successful in their own business rights, and they're they're fans first. And they're, they're very successful businessmen. Second, in terms of uh, you know, their relationship with the football club, if we've got hedge funds and private equity buying football, um, first of all, 
my concern is we don't know who's putting money into these funds, putting money into these uh, organisations. So this does create issues as far as uh, private equity uh, is concerned. If the if the Premier League is, is investigating, because they will say, well, it's it's a corporate acquisition, trying to get behind the veil as to who are the big players in some of these organisations is, is tricky. Um, but they are looking for a financial rather than an emotional return on their investment. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's how that's how modern day capitalism works in terms of um, you know, you you invest in something, you try to run it well, you make profit, you sell it on uh, to, to somebody else and and they try to do the same. Um, in the case of football, you therefore have to say, well, who are the other stakeholders in football well we've got the broadcasters we've got government um we've got the employees and then we come to um for me the two most important stakeholder groups who are the players and the fans and in terms of the players what we are seeing is all of these owners they want more matches played because that's yet more matches equals more money and I know some people will say, well, hold on, you know, footballers are, are, are amply rewarded themselves. But we are seeing increasing levels of injury taking place. And I think there is a, there is a concern in terms of players' careers. Uh, you know, we, we saw the, the Champions League on, on Saturday where Kevin De Bruyne, for me, yeah. one of the most magnificent footballers of the last decade, went off injured because he's, be, he's been playing too much football. Um, and, and that diminishes the quality of the product. But in terms of fans... Um, the way that private equity sees fans is is money on the hoof, and what they want to do is to drain fans of as much money uh, as possible. And and here um, we, we need perhaps some form of protection, yeah, perhaps in the form of an independent regulator of football, which could <laughs> which could hold up the interests um, of, 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 of both. Yeah, somebody's got somebody got thirty seven minutes on their <laughs> <laughs> on their sweep. I've just sneaked it in. Um, so I'm not opposed to hedge funds or private equity buying football. Um, you know, we, li- we live uh, in a world in which these organisations are, are very common, um, are very successful in their own right. My reservation is if they're owning one in six clubs already and they're looking to buy, buy more and more, where does this leave football going forwards uh, in terms of the game, the way it's played, and, and the way it's going to be sold to us as fans. Because I'll be honest, these organisations don't want the likes of me and you because we are the blokes that get a season ticket. Well, they don't want to sell season tickets. They want to sell individual match tickets. You can make far more money from a tourist fan than, mm-hmm. a, than a season ticket holder. Um, you know, they, they they want to, to increase the prices of merchandise. And we're already seeing, uh, you know, Shirt prices are ludicrous, and we still buy them, you know, because as we were saying earlier, you'll make sacrifices elsewhere because of because of this the relationship that you have with the football club, um, and, and it's it's only going to go one way in, in terms of uh, you know, the monetary balance from from fan to owner. I we'll get in trouble, Kieran, for talking about football. You know how producer guy goes off at the deep end in his solid gold swimming pool. But Kevin De Bruyne, for me, he's up there with Jerry Murphy as the footballer that brings me most joy. Um, I think he's wonderful. He's a work of art. And I should just pause here while some of our Latvian students Google Jerry Murphy. (laughs) Uh, Newcastle United, upwardly mobile in another league table, Kieran. Yes, um, they are now seventh in the... Um, league table of commercial deals. Mm. Um, and I think if we look at the history of Newcastle United, when Mike Ashley um, acquired Newcastle in around about 2007-8, the club was generating £28 million um, in commercial income. And by the time he left, um, only only well, 18 months ago, they were generating £28 million a year in commercial income, i.e. this was an area of the club which... Um, it was it was neglected to an extent, 
but there was also the issue that that Mike Ashley and, and I Mike Ashley has, has never been and I know I'll upset some Newcastle fans here, he's never been on my wrongens list because he did lend the club 111 million pounds interest free and he did run it as, as a business which broke even um yeah the downside is that he sucked the joy <laughs> out of being a fan um and it could have, it could have been far worse um you know, if, if we look at some of the other owners but you know newcastle fans effectively voted with their feet uh, in terms of a reluctance to endorse the brands um that uh, the club was associated with under the the ashley regime uh, and the reason for that is because newcastle fans said that you know you you you've stopped us from being as proud as being newcastle fans as, as we used to be because uh it had become a, a a soulless experience there'd been no money spent on the infrastructure within st james's park and elsewhere um and so on so what we now have is um a deal announced with a uh an events company in saudi arabia uh, called seller and uh, according to the the newcastle the effective Newcastle owner, Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, it's it's a really good deal for the club. And according to the owner, uh, effective owner of Salah, Mohammed bin Salman, it's a really good deal for the, the company as well. So uh, it's worth probably around about £25 million a year. So that's you know, trebled the amount, more than trebled, that they were getting from Fun 88. They've also got a, a, a deal on their sleeves worth in the region of seven to eight million. That's again catapulted them up from from where they were. And and this is uh, important as far as Newcastle United are concerned in order to be competitive. Um, They now see themselves in the European market uh, trying to compete with with some of the the bigger clubs there. And for financial fair play purposes, this this is uh, a, a step forwards. Uh, is this a fair price that they're, being, they're paying? There's, there won't be any indication that the fair value committee or whatever they're called will get involved here? I, I think it is a fair price, um, mainly because they've qualified for the Champions League. Right. And uh, you know, when, when we spoke to to Maxim from um, from the Latvian FA, you know, he was talking about the uh, the interest in football in his country and he said well as far as viewing figures are concerned it's i think he said it was a premier league first then the bundesliga and third uh uefa champions uh, yeah, the uefa's uh, midweek competition so it does generate uh, eyeballs all around um and therefore i think you're able to to price accordingly <laughs> I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. There have been many people in football, Kieran, predicting that Everton may well find themselves in court at some stage in the future, but I don't think they would have predicted that it would happen this way. Yes. Um, former manager, um, one of the coolest people on the planet, Without a doubt. in my view, as well. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti has uh, has issued, and, and this was due to, uh, I, I get a list of uh, court cases uh, each day, but uh, I, I hadn't spotted this one. Carlo Ancelotti. Is this because you're still looking for Uncle Terry? <laughs> That's right, uh, and and his four different names. Um, uh, but Carlo Ancelotti is issuing proceedings um, against uh, Everton Football Club for commercial 
contracts. It's sort of uh, very vaguely worded. Now, people go, well, hold on, you know, Carlo Ancelotti left Everton in, in the summer of 2021. We're two years down the line. And, and we don't normally hear about uh, former managers suing clubs. And the reason for that is there's normally um, a very quickly agreed uh, contract signed off by both parties. Um any settlements, any sums due are are finalised. Uh, the League Managers Association will represent the the, the, the manager as as will their their, legal, their their own private legal representatives at times. Um, so so why is this suddenly come to light? Um, what I suspect has been the case, and, and I have been in contact with one of our uh, legal chums, um, is that there will have been correspondence between the two parties. Um, then there's been some form of radio silence, I suspect, from the Everton side of things. And remember, Everton now effectively don't have a board of directors because yeah, yeah. Um, Denise has gone, uh, Graham Sharp has gone. Uh, is it Greg? Sean Ingalls, Graham Ingalls? They, the, effectively, the finance director has gone, so that's just left Bill Kenwright. Um, and there's been no progress made. Now, why... Should there have to be any form of settlement? Well, when Ancelotti left, um, Everton would have got some compensation from Real Madrid, but also there would be what we sometimes refer to as contingent payments. So if you are a football manager, you've got a, a flat salary, plus you get bonuses. So you know, Sean Dyche um, is, is estimated to have been given a bonus of somewhere between two and two and a half million pounds uh, for, for, t- for keeping Everton up. Uh, Sam, Big Sam was due to get broadly the same from Leeds had they managed to stay up as well. But that, So um, Ancelotti's would have been linked to league position, average attendance, commercial commercial deals, uh, intellectual property in terms of you know, him putting his, his, his uh, yeah, quizzical, quizzical eyebrow <laughs> next to products um, uh, being, being merchandised by, by Everton and so on. And it looks as if whatever that settlement was, hasn't come to, to being. So uh, a bit like HMRC and Wigan Athletic, you've, you finally reached the point of, you know, we'd much rather this take place behind closed doors. And 90, 99% of disputes in football are solved behind closed doors. Yeah, you know, we, yeah. we don't get to hear about them. Uh, I, I've uh, yeah, without giving away as, as few details as possible, I, I do expert witness work in respect of some disputes. And you know, you sign a non-disclosure agreement, you you then present data, you you gather together uh, research, um, and do you know, in my case, it'd be financial metrics, whatever it would be, and that's it. And no, nobody's any the wiser. And and that's you know, it's it's a private dispute between. You know, either a club and an individual, or two individuals, and it gets resolved uh, privately. Um, this is this is very unusual, um, and I think it's indicative of of the chaos that's enveloping Everton. They've got the Premier League charges. They've got this. They've got uncertainty with regards to funding and MSP capital. You know, most of the boards just resigned. Um, it's very messy. How does one go about getting a list of court cases, Kieran? Asking for a friend. Um, you just go to, I just go to the government website, and and I get I get daily updates from from different courts. All right. Okay. So which which do you go to first, Companies House or the the court? Um, I'll I'll check up. Uh, but it's 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 very easy. I mean, to be uh, for for all that is is wrong in this country at present. And speaking as somebody who last night um, had no, uh, no no electricity, and uh, people down the end of the road have got no water. Um, some of the systems, such as Companies House and the court systems, are, are run particularly well from a from an online interrogation point of view. And um, there's much broader issues with regards to the the failure of, of the legal system um, and and the court system. But that's that's for a separate show. <laughs> that's three separate pods we're doing now. Um, <laughs> the Baroness has only been away three days, Kieran, and already the street is without water and electricity. Well, it's my excuse for not taking a shower since she's left. <laughs> uh, our, our friend uh, Maxim Kravunek, um, head honcho of Latvian football, is very scathing in his interview about the Super League. So mm. I'm sure he'll be delighted to hear this news. Yes. Um, 
Juventus have sort of withdrawn from the Super League project um, in the sense that they have written to Real Madrid and Barcelona um, with a view to saying, well, we're thinking of a possible exit. Um, And then the club sort of denied that that was the same as that they were going to exit the Super League. Um, But Juventus... They've they've got a lot. Yeah, I think that Everton have got a lot on their plate. Wigan have got a lot on theirs. Juventus are are broadly similar. Um, they they've had a ten point penalty um, this season domestically with regards to financial shenanigans. Um, as a result of that, um, they they would have qualified for the Champions League, but they're now only going to be in the Europa Conference, um, which is a shame because had they qualified for the Europa League, I'd quite like a trip to Turin <laughs> next year. But uh, that's, that's on my European tour. I have to strike that one off. Um, they've also got their, their claims going through the European Court of Justice with regards to the Super League and its legitimacy. Um, and any potential sanctions from UEFA with regards to that. Um, for people um, wondering what is the status of the, the Super League, if you go, I think the website is called thesuperleague.com, um, that website is still going, and you're still getting the comments about how great it is from the likes of the Glazers and some of the other owners of uh, Perez, of, of clubs in Europe. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a bit like a ghost ship. Uh, it's it's not been updated since the the whole thing was created and then came crashing down, but uh, it's uh, it, it's still there, um, uh, and uh, it, it's uh, it's something we should never forget. Yeah, as, as we we've said before, we will end up with some form of of European Super League, just one not controlled by by twelve people who decided to set it up themselves. Yeah, uh, um, three more stories to go, Kieran. Growing up as a, a football fan. You very rarely heard the phrase South American football mentioned without it being followed somewhere along the line by the seamy side. It only seems to be South American football that has a seamy side. Um, And there's a story coming out of Brazil, which would be uh, delightful for 1960s football pundits to hear. Yes. Um, Yes, uh, the Brazilian state prosecutors have charged 16 people, including seven players, um, with various forms of match fixing. Now, this has been what you might call low-level fixing. And you and I, we we both know that some cricketers have been uh, found guilty of not match fixing, not even ball tampering. We we leave that to uh, that well-known cheat uh, Steve Smith and his cronies from Australia just sort of, sort of ramp up a bit of uh, pre pre ashes <laughs> feeling. <laughs> we, we've just lost all of our Australian audience. Kieran, you you, uh, you play for a cricket team that had somebody called the Prowler in it. You, you you cannot occupy any moral high ground when it comes to cricket pranks. Oh oh yeah, I mean our cricket team. If ever there was a team that punched above its weight ability wise, uh, because when it came to sledging, we were without doubt the best team in in <laughs> Lancashire uh for for doing that it was you know, for me who's I'm I'm very mild mannered and, and I'd sort of uh you know and I I once played in a in a final of uh it was the the South Lancashire Cup and it was yeah it was a it was a decent match. Uh I was the opening bowler in those days and that I I hit their their opening batsman on the head and I, I was practically I was distraught I was absolutely devastated the rest of my team they were high-fiving each other you know, it was, I, I, I'm, I'm a I'm a lover not a fighter uh, it, when it comes to all forms of sport which is why I've never been particularly successful yes but, the difference here I, I, didn't, I didn't play a lot of cricket I also wasn't very good at it but the, the team uh, my friends played for in South London the difference is that they would have hit the opening batsman on the head but with a bat <laughs> Just hitting them on the head with a ball would have been considered soft. <laughs> so anyway, back to Brazil, Kieran, and the sea- back, to, back to Brazil. The sea- yeah, yes, the seamy so- side of samba soccer. The seamy side of samba soccer, exactly. Um, this is low level. Just as we saw, you know, cricketers deliberately bowling no balls and whites. Here, it's deliberately getting a yellow card, um, deliberately conceding a corner, you know, and so on, where. Where there aren't huge amounts to be made because clearly the, the odds aren't don't tend to be quite low, but these players were being employed 
by professional criminals who who will be some of the the other people in the 16 um and, and therefore you know the the bookies were losing out on this and you know whilst i've been a bit mean about the bookies earlier in this you know, this is an area which which they they have to address to mm. to preserve the integrity of sport, um, and and it does affect a, a lot of sports. But um, it's it's no surprise, and, and this isn't this isn't me doing my my Terry Collier impersonation that it's happened in Brazil. Um, I'm also fully aware that it, it does happen in Europe as well. But uh, trying to uh, trying to get the state to uh, to prosecute is is very difficult at times. I shall pause yet again for our Latvian listeners to Google Terry Collier. Uh, <laughs> whatever happened to the Lightly Lads, one of the most underrated sitcoms of the 70s. Um, I've got a question for you, Kieran. I know it's Newsday, but I, I don't think many people would have predicted um, Lionel Messi's latest club. But what's the financial impact been of him going to into Miami? Yes, uh, I, I'm sure it is absolutely devastated to not be. Uh, managed by Phil Neville, but uh, he, he still he still decided to go there. Um, what has happened is he was offered the opportunity to play in Saudi Arabia, and it's it, it's a tough decision, I think, for a player of of you know a certain age group to to make. Um, they're perfectly entitled to maximise their their revenues. Um, even you know, and people say, "Well, hold on, they've earned a lot of money elsewhere." But you know, yeah, yeah, we, we know how much that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is earning from playing Saudi Arabia. But he's decided to go from Miami. He will be on a very lucrative contract, but by all accounts, that contract is going to be part funded by Adidas, okay. uh, who who make the kits, and also part funded by Apple, who have the MLS TV rights. So I think he's getting a share of the Intel Miami rights because th- there are wage caps in in the MLS but they also have effectively sort of star player exclusion clauses you know David Beckham had the same when he went to play for LA Galaxy so what we have seen is uh, Intel Miami I think it's fair to say have had a pretty mediocre uh, period of time on the pitch and remember it, it is a new franchise as far as uh, the MLS is concerned but we've seen a huge spike in in ticket prices because um, what uh, we see far more frequently in the US than uh, here in the UK, and this is one of the things I would fear uh, as far is is what they refer to as dynamic pricing, um, a bit like EasyJet. You know, depending upon the opposition, depending upon uh, who's playing in the match, right. uh, prices rise accordingly. So that the prices for Inter Miami matches have have shot up in terms of tickets. That's both home and away because if if you are if you are if you are uh, in LA, if you are in New York, you still want to see, or you still want to be able to say, I've seen Lionel Messi play in in the MLS. Um, so. There's been a, a very big increase. Um, this will be also good for the Inter-Miami sponsors. So they'll be willing to pay more. They will have star player clauses kick in as well. So it has been it has been positive. Um, Lionel Messi is, is you know, again, we don't talk about football, fantastic football, but he, he can't win matches by himself. You know, he, he has to have. So if results don't improve, I think we could see those uh, high prices uh, start to descend uh, fairly quickly, so watch watch this space accordingly. I know the MLS is a different beast now, Kieran, but this does smack to me of those days in the late seventies when the likes of George Best and Pele were, mm. were going out to America for a, an easy couple of seasons to make an easy couple of million, isn't it? It, it is, um, and the MLS you know, is trying to market itself. It, it has a very challenging position in that there are established sports um, which have got very close links to the broadcasters. And, and broadcasters love the NFL and they love the NBA. And the reason for that is that there are so many scheduled breaks in them. So, you know, we were talking earlier mentioning that uh, Florentino Perez said we, we should have four four quarters instead of two halves. Well, part of the reason for that is that that appeals to broadcasters because you've got far more opportunities to run adverts. The, an, an average... Um, NFL match actually only has eleven minutes of competitive play during it, but it but the the show will be broadcast for three hours. So mm. if if you think about it from from a broadcaster's point of view, the ability to maximise advertising revenues is absolutely fantastic. Um, so so that's that's why we've got that position there. 
I'm going to do this last link in my uh, classic local TV broadcaster voice because this is a classic local TV segue. Uh, Kieran, from Miami to Falkirk. Uh, I think there are many pods this week going from Miami to Falkirk. This is one of those stories, Kieran, that I I think is a good news story, but it's got the potential for me to be completely wrong about that, as I have done before. No, no, I I think this this is a progressive issue. Good, good. What has happened is Falkirk Supporters Society, they've they've borrowed £350,000 interest-free, and it's repayable over 20 years, from the Scottish Government Fan Bank. And and this is going to allow them to buy shares in the club with uh, the aim of furthering the transition to Falkirk being a fan-owned club. Um, We still have um, some other small shareholders. We still have some, some larger shareholders. Um, but the government seems very, very keen on this. It looks as if it's going to allow um, the supporters society to buy 875,000 shares, also to have two seats on the board. And uh, that would um, allow the club to uh, you know, have uh, diversity of stakeholders, which is which I don't think is, is a bad thing. Yeah, we, we've been saying this all along. Um, so it will give them uh, a, a decent share. And, and we take it from there, and, and you know, good luck to them in, in their proposals. Tell me about the Scottish Government fan bank, Kieran. <laughs> or, 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 or Finley can, if he wants to. That's... <laughs> yes, yes, you can spot the posty. Um, the, the, the fan bank, it's an initiative set up by the Scottish Government with the aim of... Um, excuse me, sir. <laughs> I can see. I can see the BAFTA committee. They said, "Well, yeah, the first fifty-nine minutes of the show was was fine. It was just about professional, um, although with a with a few uh, few off piece moments, and then the dog chipped in." Well, it's, um, it's those Lat- it's those Latvian students. I feel sorry for Kieran trying to pick up colloquial <laughs> English. Now they even the dogs bark differently. <laughs> um, but as far as the, the Scottish government is concerned, it, it set aside a fund. Um, with regards to um, expanding ownership of clubs, uh, acknowledging the, the 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 place that football clubs uh, have as far as individual, you know, same here in England, in terms of individual towns and cities, helps helps of identity, the benefits that it brings in in bringing people together, giving people an opportunity to meet, to make friends, to keep friends, um, and as well as sort of the you know, the physical and mental well being. So I think they acknowledge the importance of football and. Uh, yeah, this is a this is a progressive scheme. I expect it to potentially be seen used elsewhere. It is. That's a very upbeat note to end on. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind. You could do so by going to patreon.com slash price of football. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back with you on Monday for our next questions pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you for all of the interactions and, and the support for the show. Um, we, uh, we we hope to be announcing some some dates um, when when we know them, um, and, and and we will be the first to know, uh, but you'll be the second. Um, there's another way of supporting the show as, as uh, well as the, uh, the, the generosity and kindness of, of Patreon members and the interactions. Um, and that's to go onto your uh, app, app from which you uh, download the podcast and to give us a review. The, it, it doesn't really matter what you say. It's the fact that we're getting reviews helps us in the charts. And, and we are for a niche show. We're, we're, we're holding our own uh, in terms of the charts. Um, it's, it's, my, it's my son's 30th birthday. Um, oh. This week, so um, I, I therefore say you, you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Sean Ryder, <laughs> and as it's just received a telegram from the King, Jack Grealish's liver. <laughs> He's surprisingly philosophical, Sean Ryder. That's brilliant. Happy birthday, Alex. Bye, everybody. Bye.
that provides some photo ball.